0: The Swiss family Robinson chapter seven second journey of discovery performed by the mother of the family. You pretend said my wife with a little malicious smile to be curious about my history, yet you have not let me speak a single word in all this time. But the longer a TORN is pent up, the longer it flows when once let loose. Now, then, that you are in the humor to listen, I shall give vent to a certain little movement of vanity which is fluttering at my heart. Not, however, to intrude too long upon your patience. We will skip the first day of your absence, in the course of which nothing took place except my anxiety on your account, which confined me for the most part of the spot to the spot from whence you embarked, and from which I could see the vessel. But this morning, when I was made happy by the sight of your signal, and had set up mine in return, I looked about before the boys were up, in hopes to find a shady place, where we might now and then retire from the heat of the sun. But I found not a single tree. This made me reflect a little seriously on our situation. It will be impossible, said I to myself, to remain in this place with no shelter but a miserable tent, under which the heat is even more excessive than without. Courage, then, pursued I. My husband and my eldest son are at this moment employed for the general good. Why should not I be active in enterprising also? Why not undertake with my youngest sons to do something that shall add some one comfort to our existence? I will pass over with them to the other side of the river, and with my own eyes examine the country respecting which my husband and Fritz have related such wonders. I will try to find out some well-shaded agreeable spot in which we may all be settled. I now cast another look towards the vessel. But perceiving no sign of your return, I determined to share a slight dinner with the boys, and then we set out resolutely on a journey of discovery, for a habitation better sheltered from the sun. In the morning, Jack had slipped to the side of the tent, where Fritz had hung the jackal, and with his knife, which he sharpened from time to time upon the rock, he cut some long strips of skin from the back of the animal, and afterwards set about cleaning them, Ernest discovered him in this uncleanly occupation, and as he is, as we all know, a little delicate and afraid to soil his fingers, he not only refused to give Jack any assistance, but thought fit to sneer a little at the courier-like trade which he had engaged in. Jack, who, as we also know, has not the most patient temper in the world, raised his hand to give him a little cuff. Ernest made his escape, more alarmed, I believe by Jack's dirty hands than by the expected blow, while I, for my part, ran to set them right and to give a mother's reproof to them both. Jack persisted that he had a justification full and undeniable in the great usefulness of this said dirty work. For observed he, it is intended to make some collars which I shall arm with spikes, and the dogs will wear them for our defense. I saw in an instant that Ernest had been the aggressor, and on him fell the reproof. I represented how little a squeamishness like his suited with the difficulties of our situation, in which one and all were called upon to assist in any employment that should promise to contribute to the general good. Jack returned to his strips of skin, the cleaning of which he completed very cleverly. When he had finished this part of his undertaking, he looked out from the chest of nails those that were longest and which had the largest and flattest heads these he stuck through the bits of skin intended for the colors at small distances he next cut a strip of sailcloth the same breadth as the leather and laying along the heads of the nails politely proposed to me the agreeable occupation of sewing them together to prevent the heads of the nails from injuring the dogs I begged to be excused, but seeing the good humor with which he tried to sew them for himself, and that with all his good will it was too hard a task, I rewarded him by doing it myself. Few mothers refuse a sacrifice of a little personal convenience to afford delight to a virtuous child. But now, having yielded the first time, I found I had made myself liable to further claims. The next thing was a belt for himself, which he had manufactured of the same materials. And was impatient to see completed it being intended to contain his pistols we shall see said he strutting about as he spoke if the jackals will dare to attack us now but dear Jack you do not foresee what will happen a piece of skin not entirely dry is always liable to shrink when exposed to the heat so after all you will not be able to make use of it my little workman as I said this struck his forehead and betrayed other marks of impatience What you say is true, said he, and I had not well considered, but I know of an effectual remedy. He then took a hammer and some nails and stretched his strips of leather on a plank, which he laid in the sun to dry quickly, thus preventing the possibility of their shrinking. I applauded his invention and promised him I would not fail to give you a full account of his proceedings." I next assembled them around me and informed them of my plans for an excursion, and you may believe I heard nothing like a descending voice. They lost not a moment in preparing themselves. They examined their arms, their game-bags, looked out the best clasp-knives, and cheerfully undertook to carry the provision-bags, while I, for my share, was loaded with a large flask of water and a hatchet, for which I thought it likely we might find a use also took the light gun which belongs to ernest and gave him in return a carbine which might be loaded with several balls at once we took some refreshment and then sallied forth attended by the two dogs for our escort turk who had already accompanied you in the same direction seemed well aware that he knew the way and proceeded at the head of the party in quality of a conductor we arrived at the place at which you had crossed the river, and succeeded in passing over, though not without difficulty. As we advanced, I reflected that our safety depended, in some measure, on the two boys, because it was their on- they only who knew how to use the guns. I now, for the first time, began to feel how fortunate it was that you had accustomed them from infancy to face danger of every kind. But I am now convinced that the parent who adopts a hardy scheme of education acts the wisest part, but now for the passing of the river. Ernest was first in reaching the other side. The little Francie entreated me to carry him on my back, which was difficult enough. At length we found means to manage pretty well, thanks to Jack, who relieved me of my gun and the hatchet, but for himself, finding he was scarcely able to stand under his added weight, he resolved to go straight into the water at once rather than run the risk of slipping by stepping on the loose, wet pieces of stone so heavily loaded. I myself had great difficulty to keep myself steady with the dear little burden at my back, who joined his hands round my neck and leaned with all his weight upon my shoulders. After having filled my flask with river water, we proceeded on our way till we had reached to the top of the hill which you described to us as so enchanting, and where I partook, partook of the pleasure you had experienced. I continued for some time to look around in a mirror in silence, and for the first time since the event of our dreadful accident at sea, I felt my heart begin to open to a sense of enjoyment and of hope. In casting my eyes over the vast extent before me, I had observed a small wood of the most inviting aspect— I had so long sighed for a little shade, that I resolved to bend our course towards it. For this, however, it was necessary to go a long way through a strong kind of grass which reached above the heads of the little boys. An obstacle which on trial we found too difficult to overcome. We therefore resolved to walk along the river and turn at last upon the wood. We found traces of your footsteps and took care to follow them till we had come to a place which seemed to lead directly to it but here again we were interrupted by the height and thickness of the grass, which nothing but the utmost exhausting endeavors could have enabled us to get through. Jack was now loitering a little behind, and I frequently turned round to observe what he could be doing. At Last I saw him tearing off some handfuls of grass, and whipping his clothes with it, and then shake his pocket-handkerchief, which was wet, and lay it on his shoulders to dry. I hastened back to inquire what had happened. Oh, mother, said he, I believe all the water of the river we have crossed has got into my pockets. Only see, everything I had in them is wet. Pistols, turfs, everything. Heavens interrupted I in great alarm. Had you put your pistols in your pocket? They were not loaded, I hope. I'm sure I do not know, mother. I only put them there while my belt was drying, and that I might always have them about me thoughtless yet fortunate boy exclaimed i do you know what an escape you have had if with the suddenness of your motions the pistols had gone off they would have infallibly have killed you take care i entreat you not to commit such an imprudence in future "'There is nothing, I believe, to fear and mother for this time,' replied he, holding the pistols so as to let the water run out of them, and re- in reality I perceived by the condition they were in that there was little danger of their going off. While we were talking of what had happened, our attention was interrupted by a sudden noise, and looking about we perceived a large bird rising from the thickest part of the grass and mounting in the air. Each of the boys prepared to fare, but before they could be ready, the bird was out of the reach of shot. Ernest was bitterly disappointed and instantly exchanged the gun for the carbine i had given him crying what a pity if i had but had the lightest gun if the bird had not got away so fast i would lay any wager i should have killed him the mischief was no doubt that you did not let him know beforehand that it was your pleasure he should wait till you could be quite ready observed i laughing But, mother, how could I possibly suppose that the bird could fly away in less than the twinkling of an eye? Ah, if one would not but come at this very moment. A good sportsman, Ernest, always holds himself in readiness, this being, as I understand, one of his great arts. For you must know that birds do not send messages to give notice of their coming. I wish I could, but no, said Jack, what bird it was. I never saw any, the least like it. I'm sure it was an eagle, said the little Francis, for I have read in my books of fables that an eagle can carry off a sheep, and this bird was terribly large. Oh yes, said Ernest, scoffingly, as if all large birds must be eagles. Why do you not know that there are some birds much larger even than eagles? The ostrich, for example, which travelers sometimes name the condor on the candor. "'I must confess it would be afforded me the highest pleasure to have examined this bird minutely.' "'If you had had time to examine him, you would have had time to kill him,' said I. "'But as the opportunity is gone, let us look for the place in the grass from which he mounted. We may judge at least of his size by the mark he will have left there.' The boys now all scampered away to the place, when suddenly a second bird exactly like the first, except that he was a little larger, rushed out with a great noise and mounted above their heads. The boys remained stupid with astonishment, following him with their eyes and open mouths without speaking a word, while for my own part I could not help laughing heartily. Oh, such fine sportsmen as we have here, cried I. They will never let us be in want of game, I plainly perceive. "'Ah, if one would but come at this moment!' "'Ernest, always a little disposed to vent uneasiness by crying, "'now began to whimper, while Jack, "'with a curious mixture of tragic comic bravery upon his features, "'his eyes darting upon the mountain traveller, "'takes off his hat, making a profound bow, "'and roars out as if the bird could hear, "'Have the goodness, Mr. Traveller, "'to indulge me once more with a little visit, "'only for a single minute!' "'You cannot imagine what good sort of people we are. "'I entreat that we may have the pleasure of seeing you once again.' "'We now minutely examined the place from which the birds had been mounted "'and found a kind of large nest formed of dry plants of clumsy workmanship.' The nest was empty, with the exception of some broken shells of eggs. I inferred from this that their young had lately been hatched, and observing at this moment a rustling motion among some plants of shorter growth at some distance from the spot on which we stood, I concluded that the young co- cove were scampering away in that direction, but as the motion soon ceased we had no longer a guide to conduct us to their retreat. We next reached a little wood, and here our son Ernest had an opportunity of recognizing many of the originals of the engravings in his book of natural history, and of displaying his knowledge, or his ignorance, to his heart's content. A prodigious quantity of unknown birds were skipping and warbling on the branches of the trees, without betraying the least alarm at our vicinity. The boys wanted to fare on them, but this I absolutely forbade, and with a less scruple, as the trees were so of so enormous a height as to be out of gunshot reach. No, my dear husband, you cannot possibly form an idea of the trees we now beheld. You must somehow have missed this wood, or so extraordinary a sight could not have escaped your observation. What appeared to us as the at a distance to be a wood was only a group of about 14 of them, the trunks of which seemed to be supported in their upright position by arches on each side, these arches being formed by the roots of the tree. Jack climbed with considerable trouble up on one of these arch-formed roots, and with a pack thread in his hand measured the actual circumference of the tree itself. He found that it measured more than 15 branches the brach is equal to 22 inches and a half I made 32 steps in going round one of those giant productions at the roots and its height from the ground to the place where the branches begin to shoot may be about 36 branches the twigs of the tree are strong and thick its leaves moderately large in size and bearing some resemblance to the hazel tree of Europe but I was unable to discover that it bore any fruit. The soil, immediately round and under its branches, produced in great abundance a short, thick kind of plant, unmixed with any of the thistle kind, and of a perfectly smooth surface. The large breath of shade which presented itself seemed to invite us to make this spot the place of our repose, and my pride. Predilection for it grew so strong that I resolved to go no further but to enjoy its delicious coolness to it should be time to return. I sat down in this verdant Elysium with my three sons around me. We took out our provision bags, a charming string formed to increase the coolness and beauty of the scene floated our feet and supplied us with a fresh and salutary beverage our dogs were not long in reaching us they had remained behind sauntering about the skirts of the wood to my great surprise they did not ask for anything to eat but laid down quietly and were as soon asleep at our feet for my own part, I felt that I could never tear of beholding and admiring this enchanting spot. It occurred to me that if we could not but contrive a kind of tent that could be fixed in one of the trees, we might safely come and make our abode here. I found nothing in any other direction that suited us so well in every respect, and I resolved to look no further. When we had shared our dinner among us, and well rested from our fatigue, We set out on our return again, keeping close to the river, half expecting to see along the shore some of the pieces of other vestiges of the vessel, which the waves might have washed there. But before we left our enchanting retreat, Jack entreated me to stay and finish sewing linen strips to his leather belt. The little coxcomb had so great an ambition to strut about and exhibit himself in this new ornament that he had taken the trouble to carry the piece of wood on which he had nailed his skin to dry along with him through the whole of our expedition. Finding that the skin was really dry, I granted his request, preferring since work I must, to do it now when I had the advantage of being in the shade. When I had finished, he eagerly fastened on the belt and placed his pistols in it. He set himself before us in a marching step, with the knuckles of his hand turned back upon his hip, leaving to Ernest the care of putting on the dog's collars, which he insisted should be done, for it would give them, he said, a martial air. The self-imagined hero was all impatience for you, and Fritz to see him in his new encounterment so that i had enough to do to walk quick enough to keep sight of him for in a country where no track of the foot of man is to be found we might easily lose each other i became more tranquil respecting him when we had got once more together on the seashore For, as I expected, we found there pieces of timber, poles, large and small, chests, and other articles which I knew had come from the vessel. None of us, however, were strong enough to bring them away. We therefore contented ourselves with dragging all we could reach to the dry sands beyond the reach of the waves at high water. Our dogs, for their part, were fully employed in catching crabs, which they drew with their paws to the shore as the waves washed them up, and on which they made an excellent passed i now understood that it was this sort of prey which had appeased their hunger before they joined us at dinner heaven be praised cried i that our animals have found means to procure sustenance at so cheap a rate for i really began to think that with enormous appetites they might some day have taken it into their heads to eat their masters we now suddenly cast our eyes on flora whom we perceived employed in turning over a round substance she had found in the sands some pieces of which she swallowed from time to time. Ernest also perceived her motion, and did us the favor, with his usual composure, to pronounce just these words, They are turtle's eggs. Run, my children, cried I, and get as many as you can. They are excellent, and I shall have the greatest pleasure in being able to regale our dear travelers on their return with so new and delicious a dish we found it difficult to make Flora leave the eggs to which she had taken a great fancy. At length, however, we succeeded in collecting near two dozen of them, which we secured in our provision bags. When we had concluded this affair, we by accident cast our eyes upon the sea, and to our astonishment perceived a sail, which seemed to be joyfully approaching towards the land. I knew not what to imagine, but Ernest exclaimed that it was you and Fritz, and we soon had the happiness of being convinced that it was indeed our well-beloved. We ran eagerly towards the river with which Jack and Ernest recrossed as before by leaping from one great stone to another, while I also resumed my burden of little Francis at my back, and in this manner soon arrived at the place of your landing, when we had nothing further to do but to throw ourselves into your arms. And you think we could set up a tent in one of those giant trees at a distance of sixty-six feet from the ground? And by what means are we to ascend this tree? For at present I have no clear view of this important part of the subject. I perceived a tear stilling into my wife's eye, that she could not prevail upon me to think as she wished of her discovery, and that I treated the subject of her giant trees with so little respect. I therefore endeavored to soothe and relieve her somewhat wounded sensibility. Do you recollect, said she, the large lime tree in the public walk of the town we lived in, and the purdy little room which had been built among its branches, and the flight of stairs which led to it? What should hinder us from effecting such a sh- contrivance in one of my giant trees, which afford even superior facilities in the enormous size and strength of their branches, and the peculiar manner of their growth? Well, well, we shall see about it in the meanwhile my boys let us extract a little lesson in arithmetic from the subject of those marvelous trees for this at least will be deriving a real benefit from them tell me learned mr ernest how many feet there are in 36 branches for that your mother assures us is the height of the trees ernest to answer this question i must know first how many feet or inches the branches contain Father, the brach your half-L, contains one foot, ten inches, or twenty-two inches. Now then, make your calculation. Ernest, I do not find it so easy as I thought. You must help me, Fritz. You are older than I am, Fritz, with all my heart. First we take thirty-six braches, then multiply thirty-six by twenty-two. The number of inches each brach contains, and you have seven hundred ninety-two. Divide this by twelve the number of inches in a foot, and it will give us sixty-six for the number of feet. Is that right, Father?" Father. Yes, quite right. So, my dear wife, you will have every evening to climb sixty-six feet to get to bed, which is, as we have no ladder, is not the easiest thing imaginable. Now then, let us see how many feet the tree is in circumference, taking it around the roots. Your mother found that she walked round it in thirty-two steps. Tell us then, Ernest, how many feet do you think these thirty-two steps would make? Ernest, you always ask me the things that I know nothing at all about. You should tell me at least how many feet there are in a step. Father, let's say two feet and a half to each step. Ernest, twice thirty-two makes sixty-four. The half of 32 is 16, which added to 64, makes 80 feet. Father, very well. Tell me now, if you recollect the proper term in geometry for the circumference of a circle, or say of a tree, since we are talking of trees. Ernest, oh, you may be sure that I could not forget that. It is called the periphery. Father, right. And what is the term for any line which may be drawn from one point of the periphery to another, passing through the center. Now, Jack, you may show us with a great geometrician you intend to be. Jack, I believe it is called the diameter. Father, so far right. Next, can you tell me what is the diameter of a periphery of 8 feet, 80 feet, and what distance there is between the extremities of the roots of the giant tree and its trunk? The boys all began to reckon, and soon one said one number, one another, at random. But Fritz called out louder than the rest, that the distance was twenty-six feet. Father, you are pretty near. Tell me, did you make a calculation, or was it a mere guess? Fritz, no, Father, not a guess, but I will tell you, in the town in which we lived, I have often taken notice of them. hatter when he was about to bind the edge of a hat, always measured three times the length. Of the diameter and a trifle over for the quantity of r- ribbon he should use father so hot from the ground to the branches sixty-six feet thickness eight feet in diameter and 28 feet distance from the extremities of the roots to the trunk they really with propriety may be called giant trees we now performed our devotions and retired to rest grateful to find ourselves once more together and in health We soon closed our eyes and enjoyed tranquil slumbers till break of day.